This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. So without much further ado, we are with you, Rab, uh, with Dr. Kassel. Let's hear what happens when we have a child or an adult with respiratory distress at home. Thank you very much, Idol. Thanks, Greg, and thanks to all the listeners. I think I'll start my presentation in a slightly unplanned way. I'll start it with my closing statement, and I quote, If you can keep your head when all those around you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, you will succeed. That's how I've concluded this presentation, and this is what this presentation is meant to tell you. So much in the world has overtaken us today. The fear factor and everything that goes with it has consumed our lives and consumed our families. And and it applies very closely to what I'm going to say today. And I will try and touch on COVID, not get involved in a dispute about it, but I will try and touch on it and just try to restore some rationality to the whole thing. The need for this presentation of how to cope with medical emergencies occurring at home related to the respiratory tract is assuming even greater significance than it did in the past in the light of our current problems. As some of us battle with the uncertainty and safety of leaving our homes, going into public spaces, wearing masks, trips to hospitals, emergency rooms, doctor's rooms, specialized units, x-rays, laboratories, these all become no-goes. To assist you to navigate this seemingly dangerous pathway, Home management is becoming of even greater significance, hence today's presentation. Always bear in mind that what I'm going to say must in no way compromise the safety of your child. This is always of paramount importance. We're dealing with little human beings that cannot speak for themselves. The safety of your child is of paramount importance. And you as the parent have to make informed decisions as to regards how you handle your child. I will deal with the subject under six main headings. The first heading is croup. Secondly is asthma. Thirdly is pneumonia. Fourthly is poisonings. Fifthly is foreign bodies. And sixthly is drowning. It is vital to understand the signs and symptoms which present with each of these conditions in order to know how to cope with them and the seriousness of the situation. To do this, one needs to to have in one's mind's eye a visual picture of the respiratory tract. And I will try to give you some uh, examples uh, myself of what I mean by what I'm saying. First of all, the signs and symptoms associated with the larynx, the voice box. Its involvement is always marked by inspiratory stridor. That's what you hear when you pick up the child. Inspiratory stridor. The trachea involvement is involved, its involvement is marked by pain in the chest and pain in the throat and inability to eat properly. When the bronchus gets involved, it is marked by repeated and recurrent coughing. That's bronchitis and paroxysmal coughing. 
you'll notice that there is no inspiratory stridor and there is no wheezing. Fourthly, the bronchioles, the little tubes that go into the lungs from the bronchus. Their involvement is marked by expiratory wheezing. The other word for it is asthma. And when the lungs get themselves get involved, this is marked by very shallow breathing. It's been described as like the breathing of a dog that's panting. <laughs> Those signs are unmistakable, and they tell you far more than any x-ray, because let me tell you that x-rays are totally useless in diagnosing at what site of the respiratory tract the infection actually occurs. Because the usual x-ray report you get, and it's not derogatory for the x-ray people, the x-ray shows signs of peribronchial clumping, which can either be early pneumonia, late pneumonia, or no pneumonia at all. That's the report you get. And, of course, the mother sees the word pneumonia, and that is the end of it. And she goes into a flat panic. X-rays are of no real use except to confirm what you already know from the clinical presentation. Now, clear knowledge of all these signs and symptoms will often spell the difference between early intervention, early management, and therefore the difference between life and death. Done also intervened early, they wouldn't die. First of all, croup. Croup is a condition which involves both the swelling and the spasm of the larynx at its point of entry into the respiratory tract. There are certain viruses that are responsible for attacking the larynx (coughs) and causing it to swell. The key factor in producing the sudden attack of croup is the introduction of cold air, which causes the already swollen larynx to go into spasm. Cold air also augments the production of mucus and will also increase further the laryngeal obstruction. Acute croup is therefore mainly a nocturnal condition where the above factors are present. The child goes to sleep perfectly normally suddenly wakes up in the middle of the night realizing that they have obstructive breathing. This leads to further panic, further spasm and further obstruction. The presentation is one of sudden inspiratory stridor. The handling of the situation is as follows. Heat and humidify the room, which should become hot and humid like a sauna. Calm down the child as the crying will further increase the swelling of the larynx. A good rule in winter is always introduce warm air humidification of the child's bedroom come four o'clock in the afternoon and continue to do this every night for the duration of the winter. The fallacy that warm air humidifiers breeds bacteria is is in my opinion not a factor. Whereas a cold air humidifier or cold air humidification are definitely factors in causing mucus production and further obstructing an already swollen larynx. Now, if managed in this way, strangely enough, the acute croup attack will pass over in 10 to 15 minutes. The child will relax 
and you'll be able to happily stay in your home and not rush to a hospital or rush to the emergency room. It's all contraindicated. But the danger signals to be mindful of are the persistence of sternal recession, the sternal bone, the bone in the middle of the chest. When this continues to move inwards with each respiration, especially after 20 to 30 minutes, in a child under three years of age, this indicates the need to transfer to a proper medical facility or get hold of a solar who can deal with it at home. But this, in my experience over the last 60 years, has been very rare. All cases of croup have been coped with at home. And as frightened as the mother becomes, if she, if she relaxes and keeps her head, the child will also keep his head. And the croup will be... <laughs> Can, can we clarify two things? Because, yes, all of us have had croup with our children, with our grandchildren. The one thing um, that I just want to clarify 100% because I'm going to play this to my family afterwards. Taking a kid with croup into the cold air outside is the wrong thing to do. It's the hot it's the heat. It's like running a bath and keeping them in the bathroom with hot air or having a hot air humidifier, right? You're saying cold air doesn't work. It's the worst thing you can do is to grab the child and start running outside, going into the motor car and running off to the hospital. By the time you get to the hospital, the child will be ready to be incubated. But even 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 taking them into the cold air, like I keep on saying, take the kid into the heat, and I've got some members of the family saying, no, it's good to take them outside in the cold air because that's going to help the croup. So it we've established now the, it's right. It can't help the The second group. is the mechanism one of the things. Sorry, the mechanism ahead. of the croup is cold air suddenly hitting the larynx. It causes mucus and it causes spasm. Okay. Then the second thing that I was taught, and I don't know, I mean, I, I used it as a barometer when I had croup with my kids, was that the way you've got to listen to the wheezing. If the wheezing is one way, because sometimes you'll hear them when they breathe in, they wheeze, and when they breathe out, it's fine, or vice versa, then you know that you can manage the croup at home. That the time that you should take your kid to the hospital is when you hear them wheezing very heavily both ways, when you're having that, that sound from from the croup. Is that is that a correct statement? It's correct. When you say wheezing, it's not well I said inspiratory stridor, that is croup. Stridor. <gasps> that's yes. not a wheeze, that's stridor. When you get okay. a wheeze it means the uh-huh. infection has spread down into the bronchioles. That is a serious sign, wheezing. With <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Wheezing means that 70% of the lung function is impaired when a child wheezes and you've got to get a hospital immediately. When you've simply got inspiratory strider, you stay exactly where you are. This is 101.9. Sorry, this is 101.9 High FM. We are going for a little bit of a break. We are speaking to Dr. Kassel about all things respiratory. Let's hear what you have to say. Do you have any questions or any comments? 34519 or 061. 895-1019. Don't go away. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosulski and Fagy Stern. We're talking to Dr. Kassel, and just before the break, am I right then, if you're hearing that stridal back and forth, is that already a dangerous sign, or are you still okay to stay at home? 
if you've got pure stridor, you're okay to stay at home. It'll resolve. But if the stridor is also associated with moving inwards of the chest, the central right. portion of the chest, then if that doesn't resolve within 20 or 30 minutes, it means that the obstruction is too severe and you must get to a hospital. Or else you can get Hatsola and they, they will be able to administer at home racemic adrenaline via a mask and it will also resolve it. So again, you don't have to rush to a hospital, rush to Hatsola if necessary. Don't call them out unnecessarily. Feige, will you want to ask a question? I just wanted to know this whole link to RSV, understanding the RSV virus. RSV virus is an extremely dangerous virus, more dangerous than COVID, by the way. It's associated with a 25% mortality in children under a year of age who are compromised. COVID only has 0.02% mortality, as we know. If you start panicking, rather panic about respiratory syncytial virus in a child under a year of age. Respiratory because we were talking about breathing and it also has to do with the way breathing, that Respiratory the... syncytial virus, is, I'm coming to it. It doesn't okay. involve croup at all. It doesn't involve the larynx. And I hope that you all, including your listeners, are beginning to understand the importance of understanding the anatomy of the respiratory tract. It's telling you, it's, the signs and symptoms are telling you exactly where the pro- problem is. So now we come on to asthma. The second one, bronchospasm. And if I may hasten to suggest, I know it's presumptuous, but in your emergency cupboard, you should always carry a Ventolin inhaler and a Palmicort inhaler, or the related ones uh, genetically, uh, uh, generically, because they can often be uh, make the difference between going to hospital and staying at home with wheezing. Wheezing involves the lower respiratory tract obstruction, the bronchioles. It has nothing to do with croup. Croup is an upper respiratory tract obstruction which causes stridor. Bronchospasm is caused by swelling and obstruction of the bronchioles which leads to expiratory wheezing. When the child breathes out. Significance from an emergency point of view is great because unless you resolve this problem, it means that when a child is wheezing, 70% of the lung function is impaired and needs to be resolved quickly. It's not something you can dilly-dally about. The cause of the swelling of the bronchioles is again infection, this time caused by some very dangerous viruses, namely the one that Faggy mentioned, respiratory syncytial virus, Secondly, swine flu or H1N1 virus. Thirdly, mycoplasma. And fourthly, of course, our old friend COVID-19, which also attacks the bronchioles of the lung. Now, acute bronchospasm, remember, can also be allergic or psychological. We're talking about infection, but it can be allergies or psychological factors. The psychological factor, unfortunately, applies to the adult who is so afraid of his asthma that he looks out of the window and sees a cloud. He says, my chest is getting tight, and he goes into bronchospasm. That is the psychological factor, purely an adult. By far the greater percentage of wheezing uh, of bronchospasms in children are infective in etiology. 
In the times in which we live, it would be pertinent to have in the emergency cupboard a Ventolin inhaler, a cortisone inhaler, and if possible, an oximeter, an oximeter to measure oxygen saturation. It should be in everyone's emergency cupboard. And the oxygen saturation should always be above 90%, but preferably between 95 and 100%. Now, this is where Hatsola are doing their wonderful work. Hatsola are managing adults and children at home with an oximeter and with nebulizations and not moving them to hospital. The key factor in wheezing is to remain calm again. Don't be fearful. Try to relax and calm the child as much as possible. Use warm air unification, which again will help to reduce the bronchospasm. And if you already have inhalers available, administer Palmicort and Ventolin, as previously advised, any medical professional or nurse or anybody can show you how to do that, especially in the case of a known asthmatic. The difference between success and failure is early intervention. We try to control the, the wheezing. And just to digress for a moment, in the case of COVID-19, and sorry to digress to this subject all the time, if people would take notice when someone with COVID-19 starts wheezing, many lives would be saved. Because the next thing that happens if you don't intervene is that that infection finds its way into the lungs and into the blood vessels of the lung. And once it gets into the blood vessels of the lung, it causes clotting in the blood vessels of the lung. And once you clot the blood vessels of the lung, lung tissue dies. Your lung becomes dead. And then you're as good as dead. It doesn't matter how many ventilators they used in America, they all die. Once they reach the stage of ventilation, very few of them ever come off the ventilator. The answer with COVID is to intervene before the ventilator is necessary. And this is where the wonderful work of Hatsola comes in. They come to your house, they monitor the case at home, they monitor the cases of RSV and all the cases of wheezing at home. They avoid going to hospital. Because very quickly, with one or two nebulizations with Ventolin and Palmicort, your wheezing subsides and you can happily stay at home. You don't need to be in a hospital. Where this is not possible, where the wheezing persists despite all this, obviously you've got to remove the child to a hospital. And also if the oximeter, the oxygen calculator, moves below 90%, and certainly below 85%, you must get to a hospital. The child needs oxygen. Hatsola might dispute that because they're giving lots of patients oxygen at the moment and managing them quite successfully. You can manage all of it successfully at home without, again, rushing to an emergency room. You rush to an emergency room with a wheezing child, and by the time he gets there, he may not be wheezing at all. He may be a corpse, unless you, and, and, unless you do something quickly to uh, control the wheezing. So there again, I'll try and shorten the presentations a little bit because I want to get through everything. Uh, that, that's what, that's all I've got to say at the moment unless you have any questions on wheezing or bronchospasm. I think that's pretty clear, Fred. Very clear. Thirdly, pneumonia. 
You will have noticed from the previous two conditions, we have always tried to pinpoint the location of the infection in the respiratory tract by knowing the meaning of signs and symptoms. This is terribly important in case of pneumonia. Pneumonia is a condition mainly caused by the progression of the infection into the air spaces or alveoli of the lungs and their surrounding vessels. The result is that the alveoli fill with mucus and they become swollen. And worse still, the fluid may spread into the interstitial tissues of the lung and even onto the lung surface, causing further compression of the lungs and interfering with the interchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide in the lungs. In certain viruses, again COVID-19, the blood vessels surrounding the alveoli may become clotted, leading, and this is not confined to uh, coronavirus, it's uh, with Ebola virus, it's with many of the serious viruses, in certain cases of swine flu, you can get clotting of the blood vessels in the lung itself and lung dies leading to further inter interference with the interchange of gases and even the death of lung tissue. And once lung tissue dies, it dies. It doesn't recover. And that's why those sort of people that progress to that stage <coughs> die of the condition. From a home management perspective, the condition has to be recognized by two very important signs and symptoms, which are rapid panting and shallow breathing, like a panting dog with or without wheezing. Those two things are of vital importance. This is in complete contrast to the inspiratory stridor of croup or the expiratory wheeze of asthma. It's panting respiration. You get that? The point yeah. again I wish to make is that early recognition and management of the progression of the symptoms is of primary importance. The assistance of Hatsule and administration of oxygen at home and the use of nebulization, if done early on, can with adequate response result in stabilization with no need to remove anyone to hospital. Hatsule at some stage of the pandemic were managing up to 60 cases at home. They do a wonderful job of work. And their the, the value cannot be measured. It's, 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 it's infinite. And that's all I want to say about pneumonia. Okay, <laughs> good. I think that that makes it very clear. Poisonings. Poisonings in children can involve the accidental ingestion or the inhalation of toxic substances, e.g. paraffin, petrol-related products, chlorine of swimming pools, and related products, caustic substances, cleaners, caustic soda, and related substances. And of course, toxic medicines, toxic pills that may be that may be taken as medication. Now, the first misconception I want to correct over here is that you must get the child to a casualty and wash out his stomach. Nothing can be further from the truth. First of all, washing of the stomach in many of these conditions, which I'm going to come to, can be extremely dangerous. Because if you do that with caustic substances or with paraffin or with petrol or benzene or whatever it is, and you wash out, you then cause the fluid to move even further into the lungs with the vomiting and the, with the gastric lavage 
and you cause even more trouble. So don't be in a hurry to wash out. In the case of paraffin and related substances, the symptomatic presentation is bronchospasm of the lung. Paraffin gets down into the tiny little bronchioles and it causes expiratory wheezing. And, but the acute presentation of paraffin and the related poisoning is that it is often delayed. For the first three to six hours, nothing might happen. And then all of a sudden, an expiratory wheeze starts to develop. The bronchospasm comes on three to six hours later. Now, this is an emergency, because when that lung goes into spasm with paraffin, that spasm will not resolve with anything. It's due to swelling of the bronchioles caused by the paraffin, not so much fluid. And it needs care in a hospital with oxygen and sedation. And that child within three to six hours must be moved to a hospital. Vomiting, of course, should always be avoided since this will further augment the danger of inhalation. A good standby is always to give the child milk, which is a neutralizing product. Very often the condition will settle at home and movement to hospital is not necessary unless bronchospasm or wheezing starts to develop. Most cases will resolve spontaneously at home. Now, chlorine is the cause of acute bronchospasm. It's a terribly frightening condition and always necessitates hospital admission, as the spasm will be prolonged and not settled at home. If it is possible to get emergency assistance by Hotzola first, this is preferable, because the child can then be stabilized in oxygen and then moved to a hospital. In the case of ingestion of caustic substances, the danger is that they may erode the esophagus and cause permanent esophageal damage. If a child swallows cleaners or caustic substances, rapid action is required with the administration of an alkaline substance such as milk and avoid at all costs any vomiting or gastric washout. Don't rush to a hospital. Even if the child appears normal and can be handled at home, it is always necessary to get an ear, nose and throat surgeon to check the child's throat after three days and again after seven days to make sure there is no ulceration. This ulceration will lead to spasm and that child will, will lead to obstruction and the child will suffer for the rest of his or her life. So don't treat caustic ingestion lightly, even though there are no symptoms. Now, in the case of ingestion of poisonous substances, <clears throat> again, if we can hold our head while all those are losing theirs and blaming it on you, it will save the child a lot of trouble. None more so true than here. You often hear the story, I had a packet of contraceptive pills and the child took a contraceptive pill. I had my heart medicines and the child took a digitalis. I had my sleeping medicine, and the child took my uh, Supramol. Those things are not going to kill a child, and they're not going to do anything to the child. It's, and actually, if you've ever watched a child being washed out in the casualty, you will have rough mornings, and you, you, you really would never send a child over there. It's the most torturous thing that a child probably never forgets for the rest of his or her life. So don't be in such a hurry to run to wash out. There is a poison center that's available. Unfortunately, Atzola has also got a poison control center. They can very quickly tell you. 
By far the preferable way to handle the ingestion of toxic substances, provided it's not a, a so-called fatal dose. Obviously, you would then have to wash up, but very seldom is it that. By far the preferable way to handle it is by forced dialysis. Forced dialysis means you force the child to pass urine. You immediately give him lots of liquids to drink, and you cause him to start weaning, and his own kidneys will deal with the problem very, very effectively. And all you've got to do in the case of sedatives is just watch that they don't become too drowsy, too sedated. But again, I think that, not rush, not that, rushed off. That's very, yeah, very, very, very illuminating. And again, I think there, there's no mother out there that uh, <laughs> that hasn't had that. We've got to add to it. I had one of my grandsons swallow the hand sanitizer. Um, and we were told the only thing that probably would happen was that he would walk around right. I guess he slept a little bit, but uh, that was the end of that. This is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosulski and Fagy Stern. So we've discussed poisons. Would, would poisons also fall into the, the topic of a, a, um, a bite, a spider's bite or some very bad allergic reaction or is that a separate, uh, separate topic? No, it's a separate one altogether, Adol. But, uh, I can deal with it at the end if we have enough time. I just want to try and get through the, the major okay. issue. It doesn't oh, usually, unless it causes an anaphylactic reaction, it won't cause uh, any respiratory symptoms. Foreign bodies. Foreign bodies are far more likely to be subacute or chronic. Usually in a child under three years of age, you don't even know that the child has swallowed the foreign body. Sudden onset of unexplained wheezing in a previously healthy child should always raise suspicion. And I just want to raise the case here, and I'll mention the name, because they're actually relatives of ours, and I've got his permission. It's a child called Aaron Michel, the late John Michel's grandchild. This child was brought to me from London. Uh, he had started wheezing two days before the plane took off, and he was allowed to fly, wheezing, with the plane taking off, he landed up in my rooms. I sent him down for an immediate scan, and we discovered that he had a coin lodged at the top of his larynx, about to enter his lungs. He was a, a millimeter away from death. Now, this child had flown 6,000 miles, been seen by two doctors in England. Nobody had picked it up. He recently had his bar mitzvah that was lost week or the week before and at the bar mitzvah they presented this coin and the box that is still <laughs> preserved in to show what had saved his life so wow. always remember this if you remember nothing else from what I've told you today remember that if you've got a child with a wheeze that suddenly comes on in an unexplained way for heaven's sake get them seen because it, it, the likelihood of foreign body is very real We've already pulled air, airplane things from a lucky packet out of a child's main bronchus who's been wheezing for 18 months. And he's been treated for asthma on and off, on and off. It's not asthma at all. So be very, very careful that you don't miss a foreign body. 
the acute foreign body, well, either the child will cough it out or you'll turn him upside down, put your finger down his throat and make him uh, wash it out, but uh, cough it out. But the one to remember over here is the onset of unexplained wheezing. It must always be significant. You must never let that go by. And lastly, we are running out of time a little bit, drowning. Tragically, an all too common cause of morbidity and mortality. Prevention is by far the best means to avoid this tragedy. Swimming pools should always be fenced and securely locked. And in my opinion, any young child under three years of age, no matter how many swimming instructors they've been to and taught to swim and everything else, these children should never be left unattended near any source of open water because a child, whether he can swim or not under the age of three, he panics, and if he panics, he will drown. One important point to remember about drowning is that the child's brain, in, in, in contrast to the adult brain, the adult brain will usually suffer irreversible damage and die with a, within about three minutes of cutting off of the circulation. Not so with a child's brain. The younger and smaller the infant, the more resilient to death is the brain tissue or permanent damage, or even permanent damage. They don't get damaged permanently. In a child that less than three years of age, the brain may survive complete cut-off of the circulation for as much as 20 minutes. Therefore, resuscitative measures should always be attempted and continued for at least 30 minutes after removing the child from the problem source. Professional help in the form of a solar should always be sought, and until this arrives, turn the child on his side or stomach in order to get rid of any accumulated fluids that might be in the airways. Try again to avoid vomiting. Percussion of the chest with the child in an upside-down drainage position is useful. If the child is not breathing, institute mouth-to-mouth respiration. If another person is available and can do CPR until help arrives, this is also useful. But the main thing with drownings is not to panic. You very often can resuscitate the child completely, even when it's seemingly dead when you take it out of the water. Finally, to leave some time for questioning, I'll just dwell briefly on the do's and don'ts for respiratory emergencies at home. The first do is do not panic. Never panic. You've seen from my presentation that I haven't listed a single one of these six conditions that actually necessitates an an immediate removal to hospital. You're far better off stabilizing the situation at home. Attempt to quickly identify the site of the respiratory emergency. In other words, is it the larynx? Is it the bronchus? Is it the bronchioles? Is it the lung? And as for a uh, previous presentations, you will notice that this strongly influences treatment and early intervention strongly influences prognosis and outcome. A lot of people wouldn't die of this dreaded coronavirus infection if early intervention was instituted. Now, I, I was going to conclude, and I still am going to conclude, if you can keep your head while all around you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, you will succeed in saving your child. Now, just 
a few words on the current situation with children. There is an, an enormous fear factor all over the world at the moment with COVID-19. And I'm not going into, into controversy whether vaccinate or don't vaccinate. Obviously, the vaccinations in certain instances have helped and they've stopped to prevent pandemics and they've stopped to prevent epidemics. But if you look at it rationally, COVID-19 is only <clears throat> slightly more dangerous. In fact, it's not more dangerous in a child than it is in adults. Most children recover completely from COVID-19. And the real rationale for giving vaccines to COVID-19 children is to prevent them from infecting the adults around them. Well, this is a mute point, and I won't, I won't enter into the controversy about that. We could perhaps have another program on it where we can get in viral experts, and, and I'm quite prepared to appear on this program myself and pose the questions that need to be posed. But the, but the key thing that needs to be, uh, needs to be understood from this presentation today is never let fear overtake you. Always adopt a rational approach as to the handling of your child. This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Well, I can say certainly for me, um, being a mother for, for, for quite a few decades and our grandmother, even now I've learned a lot and it's actually quite a, quite an astounding thing that how important it is for a person to educate themselves on all of this because as you rightly say doctor the the, the main thing and and certainly for Jewish mothers in particular we get panicked so quickly about so much it's very you lose your head um where you know you can manage manage the situation so i think that i i certainly learned a lot and i'm sure that our listeners um, have to, and I want to thank you as always for coming onto the radio and uh, giving us such valuable guidance, advice, insights, and we really, really, really appreciate uh, appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you.